Well, good morning. It's a privilege to be out here studying with y'all again, and just to get to read God's Word together. If you would, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 5. That's where we'll focus our attention this morning. And the book of 1 Thessalonians is a book largely about holiness. It's a book about love. It's, it's a book about hope. It's a fantastic book in a, in a pretty short read. I highly recommend that you read it for your personal study. And as you read the book, and you will, you'll notice a lot of the message of the book is summarized and sort of exemplified by a few short prayers throughout the book. There's really three prayers in the book, and they focus on these themes of holiness and love and hope. And 1 Thessalonians 5, our passage today, contains the last of these prayers. And that prayer is really what we're going to dig into today. We're going to see what Paul was praying for the Thessalonian brethren, and as we'll see, what he asked them to pray for him as well. But we'll also see what we can learn from the prayer about how we should pray and about how we should live as Christians. And as we get into 1 Thessalonians 5, the book to this point has made the case that if you're a Christian, you will live a holy life. You'll live a life of love, even though that's going to be strange to the world, even though that's going to make you some enemies you're going to continue living this holy life. Why? Because of the hope that all Christians have. And then right at the end of the book is this prayer. And like we said earlier, this passage is the final prayer of the book, so it focuses on these same themes and sort of wraps up the entire message of the book. And this is what the prayer says. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. So as we see, it's a short passage, but I think you can already tell There's a lot going on in these two verses, and there's a lot that we can learn from it. And the first thing that I really want to draw our attention to here that Paul emphasizes in this prayer is the active role of God. Just look at how God is described in this prayer. In verse 24, God has called us to the gospel, and God has already been trustworthy to us and all mankind. In verse 23, Paul calls him the God of peace. That is to say that he has already brought peace. He is peace. And that's what he's done already. That's what he is doing. But I think we should also pay attention to what the passage says that he will do. Verse 23 says that God will make us completely holy and sanctify us. And verse 24 says that he will do all these things. That is, he will answer the faithful Christian's prayer and bless them. 
That's a lot of blessings in these few verses. Paul shows us in this prayer that our God is a God that takes an active role in our lives. Our God is a God that takes an active role in our salvation. Our God is a God who cares and a God who loves and a God who acts on behalf of his people. That's the kind of God that we serve. You know, there's this idea, it used to be called deism, but now it's become kind of widely accepted in Christianity as a whole. And it's that idea that there is a God and there there is one God and that he created everything. And then we would say, so far, so good. But the deist idea of God is that this God who created the world, this God who created everything, he's not actually interested in the world that he created. He doesn't care about earth. He doesn't really care about the universe. And he certainly doesn't care about people. The deist God is uncaring and uninterested. He's like a clockmaker. Yes, he made it but then he kind of just lets it tick on its own. That God is more like the unrighteous judge from Luke 18, 1 through 8, that we read about a couple of weeks ago. He doesn't care about people. He doesn't care about justice or love or any of that. And that used to be kind of a fringe view of God. It was looked down upon by kind of greater Christianity, if you want to use that term. But the deist view of God is becoming a lot more popular among Christians today. It's becoming more widely accepted by churches. There's a larger and larger percentage of Christians that are saying, yeah, well, I believe in God, but I'm not really sure if I believe in that afterlife or in the Bible or in sin or if any of that other stuff. But that's not the God that we see in 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, if you want to read verses 9 and 10, this is what it says about our God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 and 10. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. The God of 1 Thessalonians 5 is God that seeks to save all mankind. A God that loves his people. And I think you'll agree that this loving, active God is the God that we read about across Scripture. I'm going to put a few verses on the screen here that I wish we had the time to read, but maybe you can write them down and look at them later. Deuteronomy 7 tells us that our God fulfills his promise And his covenant that he will absolutely save the righteous and punish the wicked. John 3 and Romans 5 tells us that God loves us and that God wants to save us enough that out of his grace, he sent his son to die for us. Even though we were sinners and even though we were enemies of him and he will save us. And Jesus, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, told his apostles, and I think this includes us as well, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is our God. 
Does that sound like an uncaring, inactive God to you? Does our God sound like some uncaring judge? Our God is not a God that creates us and then leaves us be and never thinks about us again. Our God loves us. And though we've messed up, Though we've sinned, though we've offended him directly, as we talked about last week, he still seeks to bring us back. He seeks to be all people's God and for all people to be his people. That's the God of the Bible. He loves us and he wants to save all. He's alive and active. Now, even though our God is active and our God will aid us and our God will save us, even though all of that is true, and it is, that doesn't mean that we don't have a part to play in this. That doesn't mean that we can sit back and live kind of however we want and that God will save us even if we're being actively evil and living evil lives. The prayer starts, Now may the God of peace himself make you completely holy, and may your spirit and your soul and your body be kept entirely blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And at the surface, we might say, But God is taking an active role here. If God's going to keep me holy, if God's going to keep me blameless, what role do I actually have to play in this? And first, I think it's really important to note the verses directly preceding this prayer. The context of this prayer. If you want to read verses 21 and 22 with me. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22. Hold fast to what is good... Abstain from every form of evil. So directly preceding this prayer, the context of this prayer is about doing good and avoiding evil. And I think we see that same emphasis in this prayer, that we are supposed to strive for holiness and for blamelessness. But I think that we can best and most clearly see what our role is supposed to be in this process by 1 Thessalonians' definition of what holiness is. Because this prayer at its core, I think you'll agree with me, is a prayer that we as Christians should be holy, that we can be holy. That's really what Paul is asking here. So then I must naturally ask when I read this, well, what does it mean to be holy? What does holiness even mean? And I think 1 Thessalonians 4 gives us a good idea. 1 Thessalonians 4, if you want to read verses 1 through 8 with me. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus... That as you received him from us, or that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. 
that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but he has called us in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but disregards God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. What is Paul saying here? Is it God who makes us holy? Yes, I think it's God who calls us. We see that in the prayer in 1 Thessalonians 5 and here in this passage, that God calls us to his will. He calls us to holiness. But that means he also calls us to be faithful to him. He calls us to do his will. He calls us to stop living for ourselves and living as our passions, as Paul says the Gentiles do, or as some Christians would say the world does. He calls us to forsake ourselves, to forsake the world, and to live for him and live for God's glory in purity, in righteousness, and in honor. And if we do that, he will save us. So you see, it's God's work. It's God's plan. It's God's will. He's the main character here. He's the sort of active participant, if you want to put it that way. But he still calls us to choose him. He calls us to do good and to avoid evil, to live in a holy way, to live honorable and loving lives to model ourselves after him. So then this prayer in 1 Thessalonians 5 is not a prayer that God will save me even though I'm living for myself, that God will save me even though I'm actively living in an evil way and that I care nothing about what God actually wants. This prayer is a prayer that God will help us to live completely for him. That God will mold our thoughts and our desires and our actions. That God will mold everything that we do to be utterly and totally devoted to him. This is a prayer that we live in holiness. That we live like our God. And maybe we should ask why. Why would I want to do that? Why should I bother doing good? Why should I bother avoiding evil? If God calls us and God saves us, why should I bother being holy? I guess the short answer is because we need to. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 through 8 really speaks to this. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober for those who sleep sleep at night and those who get drunk are drunk at night but since we belong to the day let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation and then verse 9 that we read earlier for God has not destined us for wrath 
but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So 1 Thessalonians 5 paints a picture for us that there will be a day when this world will end. A day where God punishes those who are evil. A day of darkness for those who live in the darkness. But it's also a day where God will save those who do good. Those who avoid evil and are holy to the Lord. And he will save them through his son Jesus. Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus' teachings. Because he is a loving God. And that love... That sacrifice of Jesus, that hope of being saved on the last day, this is what should propel us to do God's will. That he has promised what will happen from the beginning. That he has promised that he will punish those who hate him. And that he will gather those who love him, who obey him, who live in holiness like him to himself. And that's what the prayer in 1 Thessalonians 5 really speaks to. It's a prayer that we should live in anticipation of the day of the Lord. It says, may your spirit and soul and body be kept entirely blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a prayer that we will live our lives looking forward to Christ's second coming. Looking forward to our eternal lives. And that's essential to Christianity, right? The call of a Christian is to look past this life, to look past what I'm going through right now, and to say, I know this is temporary. I can't get distracted here. And to look forward to what God has called us to, for God to be our God, and for us to be his people and to live his life and in his blessings for all eternity. That's what we're striving for. That's a part of who we are as Christians. It absolutely has to be. In 1 Thessalonians 3, after Paul talked about the great difficulties and persecutions that he and Timothy have suffered for the sake of the gospel, in 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 through 12, He says this, Now may God our Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all just as we do for you. And we might ask, why, Paul? Why are you willing to risk so much for the gospel and for the brethren? Why do you care about the gospel and the church so much that you're willing to throw away your entire earthly life away for it? And verse 13 says why. So that our hearts are strengthened in holiness to be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Paul lived his life striving for the resurrection. Paul lived his life working and preparing for the life to come. And he called all Christians to do the same. And that's why as you get into 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 and 18, he says this. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. 
For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore... Encourage one another with these words. Christians have to live our lives here focused on our hope, focused on the next life, focused on being united with those who have gone before us and being united, most importantly, with our Lord. That's what makes us want to live holy, loving lives. That's the hope that calls us to God. It's essential to our lives as Christians, and it's essential to this prayer. I think when you put it together, you get the clear picture of what this prayer is really saying. And it's incredible. It really is. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. He's saying, may God help you accept his calling and live for him. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. And may you strive to do this, strive to love God and keep his commandments as he has called us to. And why? For the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that hope of a better eternal life with our God. And he who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. God is going to do this. God is going to answer this prayer. God is going to help you. God is going to save you. It's prayer of faith and trust in God and his word. It's a prayer of dedication to his commandments and to his way of life. And it's a prayer of looking forward to that reward in hope. That's the message of this prayer. And that's the message of 1 Thessalonians. And in some ways, it's the message of the entire Bible. So let's take the last few minutes here to look at some things that we can learn from this prayer. As we actually leave this church building and actually have to do these things in the world, the first of our applications today is to remember your hope. Remember why you're a Christian at all. Do you remember John chapter 11? In John 11, Lazarus dies tragically. And Jesus goes to visit Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. And as Jesus comforts Martha, he says this in John chapter 11, 25 and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And then Jesus showed that he does truly have the power over life and death when he resurrected Lazarus. And then at the end of the gospel story, when Jesus died, and then we would question, does Jesus really have the power over life and death? He's dead. 
after three days, he showed yet again that he has the power over death by becoming resurrected himself. Our God has the power over life and over death. And he has promised us that if we believe in him, if we love him as we should, he will resurrect us on the final day as well. That's our hope. And it's the best hope imaginable. Life in God's presence forever. So then the question to us is the same question that Jesus asked to Martha. Do you believe this? Do you believe in this hope? Because if you do, you need to live like it. If you have that hope that God is going to save, that Jesus is the resurrection, that is the kind of hope that has to dictate how we live. That is the kind of hope that makes us live a different kind of life. That makes us live in the calling of holiness. Because that's what this prayer says. The prayer asks that our spirit and soul and body be kept entirely blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope has to control how we live. And you've heard me say it a hundred times already while I've been here, but I think it deserves a hundred and one. We cannot think to ourselves for a moment that just because we call ourselves Christians, we will automatically be saved in the last day. That the title Christian actually means something as just a word. Because as a word, as just a title, Christian means nothing. As a name tag, it means nothing. God doesn't call us so that we can wave around the title, God's people, so that we can hold a banner that says, I'm saved and you're not. No, God calls us to actually live as a Christian, to adhere to his holy calling. We have to do what he calls us to do, to love him, to serve him, and to serve others, to be holy as he is holy. I think 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 and 8 says it perfectly. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 and 8. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, you're not disregarding me, you're not disregarding the elders, you're not disregarding what anyone else tells you, but they disregard God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. We cannot disregard the necessity of actually living a holy life, of living pure and righteous lives, of loving God and keeping his commandments. Because if we ignore that, we disregard God, and we disregard his blessings and Christian, you've disregarded the entire purpose of your life here. And that all might seem overwhelming. I mean, look at the Bible. There's a lot in here. How am I going to get it all right? How am I going to perfectly follow every little thing? And I'll just tell you, you're not going to. You're going to mess it up. You're going to get stuff wrong. But that's why this prayer is so incredible to me. 
Because yes, we do have to seek to live a holy life. We do have to seek to keep ourselves blameless, but we don't do it alone. The prayer is that God helps us, that God molds us. If you want to turn to 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 3, Paul talks about uh, what he and the other workers for the gospel have overcome in persecution and overcoming in adversaries. And this is what 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 3 through 5 says. It says, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Our prayer today says God is trustworthy and he will in fact do this. God will help the one who seeks him. God will mold the Christian to himself. God will direct us to his love, to his holiness, to his life. And of course, that's not to say that we can be idle, that we can slack off and be evil. The rest of 2 Thessalonians 3 is a warning against getting lazy in our walk with God. But that is to say that God loves us. And he seeks to save us. And he will save the one who seeks him. And if we seek him, though we are imperfect, he is perfect. Though we stumble and fall, he is perfect. Though we cannot save, he will save. Because God calls you to faith and to love and to holiness and to peace and to salvation. Will you follow him in that? Will you trust him to transform you? Will you answer his call? Because if we pray these things, if we seek him, it says he will do this for you. And the final thing I'll say is pray this. We need to pray this for ourselves. We need to pray this for each other. We need to pray this for the weak brethren, the new converts, but we also need to pray this for the mature brethren, the elders and the preachers. Because Paul asks in 1 Thessalonians 5, 25, right after this prayer that we've been focusing on today, he says, brothers and sisters, pray this for us too. And I think sometimes we think of Paul and Timothy and these other Christians that we read about in the New Testament as these like super Christians that they did things that no one else in the world could ever do. And if Paul and Timothy, if they need these prayers, if they need that encouragement, then you can be sure that we do too. You can be sure that every Christian that you know needs this prayer, that you need this prayer. So before we're dismissed to our classes, we're going to pray. Father, God of peace, make us completely holy. Transform us into servants of you. Please help us to keep our spirit and our soul and our body entirely blameless before you. Help us to love you and to serve you as you call us so that we may be ready at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in the day of the Lord, though it comes like a thief in the night. We know you are trustworthy and that you will do these things, and we thank you for your faithfulness. 
Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And it is in his name we pray, amen.